We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, and Lord willing, this morning, we're going to cover verses 1 through 17. And it's, it's a lot about faith. I think if I wanted to give a summary, you know, the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And so by faith, think about this, we see the invisible. By faith, we attain the impossible. By faith we're saved and by faith we're sanctified. And you know, how many of you here, you have a key and it opens up the door to your house or it turns on the car that you drive. Faith is like a key. It's like a key that opens the door to the dreams that God has for you. His desire for you to be with him, his desire for you to be like him, his desire for you to help others come to know him. All that happens by faith. And so my question is, do you have that key? Do you possess that faith? And not only uh, that faith, but we're going to see today uh, it's a proper type of faith. We're going to see today that we need to have a constant faith. There needs to be a consistency. We need to have a humble faith. There needs to be humility. And we need to have a simple faith. There must be a simplicity. And so we got to have the uh, you know, key. we got to possess it. But it must be a key that is proper, that faith that opens the doors to the dreams that God has for you. Because look what it says here in verse 1. It says, And then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. The old King James says that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And this describes right here a believer who loses heart and gets so discouraged that he or she wants to quit. And let me tell you something. The devil will come to you with a double-edged sword of doubt and discouragement, and he will try to convert you into a quitter, into a splitter. And God says, no, don't be that way. Jesus says men should always pray and not give up. Prayer is so important for us as Christians. And a consistent prayer life is a, is a sign of life. It's very important. We read this frequently in the Bible. Romans 12, verse 12, it says, Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Ephesians 6, 18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it. And then, of course, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, Pray without ceasing. You know, someone comes up to me and they say, Manny, what do I do? What should I do? It's a crazy situation that I'm in. And I simply say, please, get on your knees and pray. God will show you. That's where we need to be. We desperately need this for your family. And we desperately need this type of heart for our flock. Ian Bounds said, what the church needs today is not more machines, not more methods, but men. Men whom the Holy Spirit can use. Men of prayer. Men mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not come on machines. He does not come on uh, methods. But he chooses men and he anoints men. Not plans, but men of prayer. And so it's a real simple thing. You know, I know that you might be discouraged and whatever it is, 
You know, I know for us as a leadership, that's one of the things that, that you know, that we just breaks our heart the most. We just pray, Lord, please don't ever let them quit. Don't ever let them split. And I know, you know, you're like, well, what should I do? And I, I just want to encourage you to really pray. To really get on your knees and to seek the Lord. What Billy Sunday said is so true. If you are strangers to prayer, then you are strangers to power. And if you're strangers to power, then you are you will be overpowered by your adversary. And that's why it's important to pray. Jesus said men always ought to pray and not lose heart. And so what does he do? He speaks a parable to illustrate this. He says in verse 2, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? The Lord says uh, to, I think all of us, you know, I, I think, you know, women, I don't know if I can say this though, but I, I'll just say it anyways. But I'll, I'll just say especially the men. Because we're supposed to be the leaders, right? And he says, pray. Whatever you do, doesn't matter what the devil comes with you. You know, that double-edged sword of doubt and discouragement. Don't quit. Men are always to pray and not to lose heart. Of course, we know this applies to the ladies as well. And that's probably why the Lord uses a widow as an illustration. You know, as you read the Gospel of Luke, you find that Luke has a heart for widows because God does. Luke mentions widows nine times in his Gospel, more than all the other Gospels combined. You know, but in looking at the parable right here, you see this widow and she goes to the judge. Now, the modern day mentality is there's a courthouse and, you know, she's going to have her case heard. But in those days, it was different. We need to know the setting in the East. Wiersbe explains it. He says the courtroom was not a fine building, but a tent that was moved from place to place as the judge covered his circuit. The judge, not the law, set the agenda and he sat regally in the tent surrounded by his assistants. He says anybody could watch the proceedings from the outside, but only those who were approved and accepted could have their cases tried. This usually meant bribing one of the assistants so that he would call the judge's attention to the case. And so this widow had obstacles to overcome. Number one, she had to overcome the simple obstacle of being a female. In those days, uh, you didn't have the same rights as a man. She had to overcome the obstacle of not being married. She didn't have a husband to go in for her, and she had to overcome the obstacle of being poor. All these obstacles had to be overcome just for her case to be heard. And so what happens? A lot of obstacles, a lot of opposition. Most would probably say to her, you know what, it's just not going to happen. You're not going to get justice from your adversary. What ends up happening, you guys? The widow is a picture of an individual who just kept praying. You just kept praying. You know, I was reading some of the commentators, and they said you can kind of visualize it. You know, she's outside, 
And she's just like, you know, screaming or, or maybe holding up signs or, you know, yelling, you know, hey, hear my case. Hey, hear my case. Pay attention to me. I know I don't have any money. I'm not married. I'm, I'm just a woman. Hear my case. And eventually her case was heard. And the Lord is saying that's kind of the way it is for us. You know, the Lord says right here that as a result of her consistency, the unjust judge avenged her. The only reason the judge helped the widow here, we read it there in the text, is because he was afraid she would weary him, which literally means give him a black eye, which literally means ruin his reputation. So he did it really for selfish reasons. And the point that the Lord is making right here is that that consistency that we need to have in our faith. You know, how this widow prayed day and night, how this widow would cry day and night. And so the Lord heard her cry. The Lord says right here, this is what I need you to to, to do. I, I need you to know if this is what the unjust judge does, think about that. Imagine what the just judge will do. For those who come by faith, faithfully, and with that heart of consistency. You know, if you think about it, the widow was there approaching a court of law, but you and I approach a throne of grace. And God says we can go. And so my question for you today, for me today, is do you cry? Do you cry? You know, I think that we need to cry. You're like, no, I don't like to cry. So you hold it in, you hold it in. I don't want to mess up my mascara, whatever it is, you know. And God says, give me a break, man. Let me see some tears. Let me hear you cry out loud day and night. I want to see if you really want this. And, and not only do you cry, but why do you cry? Why do you cry? Do you cry for yourself? Oh, he hurt me. You know, sometimes we're like that. Or do you cry for the brothers? Do you cry for others? How about this? If you do cry for yourself, cry for your sins. You see, I think we need to cry, and I think we need to cry for the the right reasons. Some people cry over spilt milk. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about crying over spilt blood. The blood that was shed for you and me on Calvary. We need to cry for the right reasons. When we read 141 times in the Bible about men and women who cried out to God, and we need to join them, because what you find is when you read in the Bible 141 times of men and women crying out to God, He answered them every time. And God is saying to you, whatever your situation is, cry to me. Come to me. And I will answer you. And don't give up. Don't lose heart. I know sometimes things look hopeless. Things look like they're getting worse. But it actually might be a part of God answering your prayer. The Lord says there in verse 8, though, that this is not going to be very common. The Lord says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, here's the question. When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? You see, we're going to talk about faith today. That faith that's like a key that opens the doors to the dreams that God has for you. It's a faith that saves you. It's a faith that sanctifies you. It's a faith that's so fundamental. But it needs to be not just a faith you possess. It needs to be a faith that's proper. And when you really have faith, you will be a prayer warrior. 
And if you really have strong faith, and we're not talking about a quantity, but a quality of faith, you will cry out day and night. And you watch what God does. You know, I always get blessed whenever I hear the story of Chuck Smith and how he says, you know, and he said it many times, how he doesn't ever remember going to sleep at night. And he, he says that every single night when he went to sleep, the last words he would hear was the, the prayers of his mom. And he says when he woke up every single morning, the very first words that he would ever hear were the prayers of his mom. You see, his mom knew this verse and she cried out day and night. It's no wonder that God has done such a wonderful work in and through the life of Chuck Smith. What a difference it makes when we cry out day and night. You know, but the odds are, and if I could just say this, and I don't want to offend anybody, you know, but you got to really check your heart because most people, they don't really pray the way they should. Most Christians don't. Oh, yeah, I've heard that study before. As a matter of fact, I've heard it 1,267 times. Yeah, cool, but how's your prayer life? And do you cry out to the Lord day and night? The Lord says when he comes, I wonder if I'm going to find anybody like that. I pray that he would. I pray that this would be a stimulation to move us to that place of prayer. Because we do all the other things and we think, well, that's what God wants, you know. And, and yeah, but first, we need to make sure that everything is fueled by prayer. And so to have that faith, that good quality key of faith that opens the doors to the dreams that God has for you, I think, number one, we need to make sure that we have a consistency. Number two, it needs to be more than that. Because there's a lot of people, you know, that maybe they're religious. How many of you here, before you were a Christian, used to pray the rosary every night? Just out of curiosity. Every night, ooh, man, there you are, Hail Mary, full and all that kind of stuff, right? And you're praying it every single night. And so, hey, they did it consistently, yeah. But there's other things that we need to know. Second thing is that it needs to be done in humility. Because look what it says in verse 9. It says, Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. He says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus, notice, with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Lord says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Here we see this Pharisee. He goes and he prays basically to himself. You know, a lot of times we think and they think they're praying to God, but the reality of it is because of their self-righteousness and their pride and their lack of humility, God does not hear them. Now, I am thoroughly convinced that this Pharisee was thoroughly convinced 
that he was right on. And he was not. Humility is massive. It really is. I mean, if for a split second you think that you're good enough and you're worthy and you're the best and you look down on others, let me tell you something, you are in big trouble. There's a lot of people like that. The Lord says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. And so it's not just the consistency. Yeah, that needs to be there, and I pray that it would. But I pray that there would always also be a heart of humility. You know, here this guy, he thought he was so good because he did all the religious stuff, you know? I mean, think about it. According to the Old Testament, they only had to fast once a year. This guy fasted twice a week, okay? And, you know, when you read, you see that they tithed, you know, everything meticulously. It's kind of funny. Some people, they'll write their check, you know, $64.63.5, you know. They're real meticulous in their tithing. They were giving of their mint gardens and their cumin and all that kind of stuff. You know, and he thought he was so right on. I don't, you know, run or smoke or chew or, you know, walk with those who do. I, I'm right on. He thought he was so right on, and yet he was deceiving himself. You see, God wants me to pray constantly, yes, but it must be from a heart of humility. A heart that beats obediently and humbly, and not just religiously, but practically. You know, one of the things that I'm learning as I read my Bible, and just as I'm trying my best to be like Jesus, is that you've got to be so careful that you don't think because you do religious stuff that you're right. What is God looking for? God is looking for love. Love. Not just rules and regulations. The one who will go visit the prisoner. The one who will go visit the sick. The one who loves their enemies. The one who clothes the naked. The one who welcomes in the stranger. You read Matthew 25 and you read what love really looks like. It's not just, well, I don't drink or smoke anymore. I don't cuss anymore. Cool. Good. But it's a lot more than just the religious stuff. And the only reason I say that is because I love you and I, and I, and I pray that you would know how wicked you are. And we all are. You're like, well, not me. I'm pretty good. You're the worst. Man. <laughs> and it's okay. You know, apart from God, we're all wicked. We're all wretched, right? There's nothing good in me. There's none good, no, not one. You want to know why I can't look down on anyone else? Because I really believe I'm below them. I honestly believe that. As a matter of fact, it's real interesting. This tax collector right here, it says right here in this tax collector standing afar off, but not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me. Literally, the sinner. Not just a sinner, common among all others. He felt, as he looked at his own heart, that he was like the sinner. Like the worst. Like Paul said, the chief of all sinners. And that's how I feel, you know, when I look at my own life. Yes, I know we have to preach truth and preach holiness and we say this is sin and that's not sin. But when it all comes down to it and I search my own heart, I know who I am. We have to have that understanding. You see, the Pharisee's attitude seems to be 
that God should be grateful to him for his commitment. And maybe you're here today and you think you're pretty good. Well, if you do, then you're deceived. You need to believe, and if I could say this, it sounds kind of funny. You need to believe by faith that you're a sinner. You need to believe by faith that your righteousness is like Isaiah 64, verse 6, filthy rags. You can never come to that point in your life where you feel like you are worthy. The Lord says that in the end, the man went down to his house justified, just as if he'd never sinned. Even though he was a wretched man, he repented of his sins. He laid it all down there. He admitted that he was guilty. The Lord says he went down justified, and the other man, unfortunately, wasn't. And more than likely, they both felt like it was the other way around. As they're heading home, the religious man gets back on the road that leads to hell. But the tax collector finds himself on a new road, a road headed for heaven. Make sure that you know how wicked you are. Make sure you know your own sin. Because if not, then Jesus says to you that prostitutes and harlots and tax collectors will enter the kingdom of God before you. See, we have to understand that. The Lord says, hey, this is a principle that I have. Look at verse 14. Here it is. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Maybe you're here today and you're like, you know what? I'm Job. I'm, I'm, I'm a Job, man. I'm upright. I fear God. I shun evil. I'm like a Job. Manny, God said that Job was right on, so I can say I'm right on. I search my heart, I don't really see anything. Look deeper. If God says that about you, cool, but never say that about yourself. Never. See, we have to understand who we are apart from God. You know, we have to understand what God's principles are. You'll find that promotion and demotion are repeatedly and thoroughly saturated throughout the scriptures, and we would do now do well to know them well. Luke 1.52, he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. Luke 14.11, forever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Psalm 138, verse 6, though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Proverbs 3.34, surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. James chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I pray we would know that humility is one of the most fundamental building blocks in the life of a Christian. So much so that Augustine said, if you plan to build a tall house of virtues, you must first lay deep foundations of humility. You see the principle, the way it works in God's kingdom, you exalt yourself. He humbles you, but if you humble yourself, I'm the worst, the chief of all sinners. He exalts you when you see yourself that way. That's the principle of the scripture. You know, it's interesting. We know according to Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 that it was uh, the antithesis to humility. It was pride that brought the devil down, right? And it's kind of interesting. Pride brings them down, but humility, they, one person said this, will bring the, the, the demons down. It makes the angels demons, and it makes the demons angels, if I could just put it that way, okay? And so you're like, wait a minute, man, time out. The demons are never going to be angels. Well, you know what I mean. I'm talking about you. (laughs) You're like, oh, I'm not a demon. Yeah, the only thing holding up your halo is your horns, right? You know it, man. Humility 
will change everything. Humility, you won't be religious anymore. You're going to be filled with love. People are going to be comfortable around you because they know that you love them. See? And that's what God wants to do in our, in our hearts. You know, for some of us here, the only thing holding up our halo is our horns. And so we read in James chapter 4, verse 10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. You know, earlier we spoke of crying out. Question, when was the last time you cried over your sins? If you haven't cried over your sins in a long time, then more than likely something's wrong. You know, and we need to search our hearts. When we pray, don't just go in there, oh, I pray that so-and-so gets better and -and so-and-so gets better and I hope that we get a building. You know, asking for things all the time. Spend some good quantity time just searching your own heart. You know, spend some good quantity time just asking God to just reveal those things to you because, you know, you're never going to be able to grow unless you can deal with them. You know, and sometimes God reveals the things that are, are messed up within us uh, through altercations, right? Maybe you and your, your spouse, you get into a little spat, and they say, you know what, you did that. And, and what right away, we're like, our pride kicks in, and we're like, no. And we, we um, what's that word? We deny the truth. And God is giving us an opportunity to, to get right. We have to cry over our sins. We have to have that humility. See, there's the consistency of our faith that's necessary. There's the humility in our faith that's necessary. And I pray that we would really be in tune with who we are apart from Christ. And I read a story of a wealthy American family that scheduled a vacation to visit the land of Israel. When Dad announced the trip to the family, everyone was excited to go to the Holy Land, with the exception of their youngest boy, who was a seven-year-old named Bobby. The father didn't understand why, and he told his son that if he would read his Bible and study the life of Christ, surely he would want to walk where Jesus walked. And so Bobby began to read his Bible day after day after day, until finally one day he came up to his dad and said, Daddy, now I know for sure I don't want to go to the Holy Land. And Dad said, wow, I was certain if you read about Jesus, you'd want to walk where he walked. And the little boy then said to his dad, Daddy, it's not that I don't want to walk where he walked. It's just that I'm not worthy to walk where he walked. You know, and I'm not saying you can't go to Israel or anything like that. But you know what? There's something there. There's something that's missing in our hearts today. You know, Peter said, don't crucify me like Jesus did. Crucify me upside down. I'm not worthy to die like that. There's that missing to me. There's a lack of consistency. There's a lack of humility. And then the third thing is there's a lack of simplicity. Because look what it says in verse 15. And then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, verily, verily, amen, amen, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter. 
Now, just in case, you know, you read this right here and you think, oh, it's just a little story. This is how you get to heaven. You will not go to heaven unless you receive the kingdom like a little child. Sometimes people approach this whole thing and they, they make it complicated and they make it sophisticated. And God says, then you're not going to go to heaven. You scrutinize things. You overanalyze things. Just receive it like a little child. You know what? Jesus died for you. He died for you on the cross. And all your sins were on Him. And He shed His blood. The Bible says that if you repent of your sins and receive Christ as Lord and Savior, then when you die, you'll go to heaven. You see, kids make it simple. There needs to be a consistency in our faith that would pray and cry day and night. There needs to be a humility of our faith. It's just honest and knows who we are apart from Christ. And there needs to be a simplicity in our faith. We need to have this. You know, it's kind of funny. Sometimes we think that children need to become like adults to enter heaven. But Jesus actually says that adults need to become like children in order to go to heaven. Whereas we said Jesus wants us to be childlike. Not childish, but childlike. An unspoiled child illustrates humility, faith, and dependence. A child has a sense of wonder that makes life exciting. Have you guys ever seen that in a little kid? They're just like, they want to explore everything, you know, and they're discovering these new things, and they've got this smile on their face until we, unfortunately, wipe it off. Kids are cool, man. They're beautiful. I love hanging out with the kids. I'm so jealous of Jesse. I'm serious, man. And, and the Lord says, that's how I want you to be with me in this whole kingdom thing. Real simple, man. Just like a child embraces the truth. Not sophisticated, not complicated, not over-analytical, just simple faith in God. Not smart enough to figure it out, how it all works. That's crazy. Just smart enough to know that it works. That God the Father works on behalf of his children. And that's the truth. You know, I can't figure a lot of things out. I can't. I can't figure out how God would accept me. I can't figure out how he's washed away all my sins. And I read the Bible, and you know, there's a lot of things. I think the more I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know, how I don't have everything figured out. I don't realize how everything works in my life. But I do know some things, and those are the things that I hold on to. And I know that that faith, that simple faith that children have, is something that God wants us to emulate. You know, a child will pray for anything, right? I remember a while back, uh, uh, Craig and, and Betty's daughter, Sarah, wanted to go to the snow. They had a, a day schedule, circuit on the calendar, they were going to go to the mountain, but there was no snow. And so you know what she did? She prayed for snow, man. And the weatherman said, there's no snow, no snow, no snow. Until Sarah just kept praying and praying and praying for snow. And then the weatherman said, something strange has happened. <laughs> We've got a storm coming in from the north, and sure enough, it snowed, right? The faith of a child. I remember my kids, man, they prayed, prayed and prayed for years that we would get a dog. I thought for sure, being head of the home, that we would not get a dog, you know. The day came, boom, there's a dog in the house. It was so cool. Oh, for years, my, my children, they prayed that I would have two days off. I think that's cool. Five days you work at work. One day you work at home. One day you rest. They prayed that for years. I thought for sure that would never happen. God brought it to pass. The faith of a child. You know, the faith of a child, here we see uh, they, they brought the babies to Jesus. And it could be babies. It might even be toddlers. 
And I do know this, though, that if you're a parent, you know, you have a baby, and they would want the rabbi to bless them. Think about this, man. You know, the, the parents would have to have the faith to take the child, and then the child would also have to feel comfortable enough to do what? To let him hold them. And I guess in one sense, that's the way it all ends up, you guys. You know, if you're here today, and you're not a Christian, I know it sounds simplistic, but the reality of it is, you are refusing to come to Jesus. And all he wants to do is hold you. All he wants to do is protect you. All he wants to do is forgive you. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. It's a person. And he loves you and he died for you. All he wants to do is take you in his arms and take you to heaven. You see, the first story is kind of a story in justice, and we know what that is. The second story is kind of a story in mercy, we know what that is. But the third one is a story of grace, where God wants to give us the kingdom. And all we need to do is to come to him by faith. I pray that we would have a constant faith. I pray that we would have a humble faith. I pray that we would have a simple faith. Just a solid mustard seed of faith that God would use to save us and to sanctify us for the rest of our life. One person said this, A simple childlike faith in a divine friend solves all the problems that come to us by land or sea. The person that said that is Helen Keller. And she, we know, at 18 months, fell deaf, mute, and blind for the rest of her life. And you're like, well, how do we face all the problems of life, Manny? What should I do? And I just have to go back to what I said in the beginning. Please, get on your knees. He's the answer. Run to God. He will wash you. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He'll give you wisdom. He will bless you because he loves you. But you've got to make that choice. He's a perfect gentleman. He won't force himself on you. And that goes for the Christian too. The Bible says, Jesus says, Behold, I knock. I stand at the door and I knock. See, and you've got to open up that door. And you've got to fellowship with him. And so, Lord, we thank you so much for allowing us to study your word. And I know it's, it's amazing that you would even think of us The God who made everything. The God who's self-sufficient. The God who's perfect. Why would you think of us? But I know you do. I know even your word says that your thoughts towards us are as the sands of the sea. Lord, I pray that we would understand that today. And Father God, I pray that we would respond with faith knowing that you have dreams for us. Lord, that you have aspirations for us, but it's going to take this key of faith in order to open the doors to all those dreams. I pray, Lord, that we would have a constant faith, a humble faith, and a simple faith, and that you would do a great work in every life here, how you love us and how you want good things for your people. And I pray, Lord, especially for anyone here today who doesn't know you, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. And just with every eye closed and every head bowed. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 
3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.